This week's episode of Carson Sack Podcast is brought to you by Field and Stream with their cozy cabin sock that has just been released. Kick back and relax on our aloe-infused cozy cabin socks designed with a double-layer construction. Your feet are sure to stay comfy and warm when the temperature drops. Now hit that ish. <laughs> Sack fans, what's up? This is Carson Sack Podcast, where we talk balls. This is episode 31. I want to thank you already for tuning in and giving this podcast a listen. Just to not do this at the end like I do, I'm going to get it just out of the way. Please, iTunes, SoundCloud, wherever you're listening to this podcast, go ahead, like, review, subscribe, everything. It means a whole hell of a lot to me. That's how I get... Um, fan base growing. That's how I get more sponsors, aka more money. So anything that you could do to help, whether it's that or literally just retweeting a tweet about it, sharing a Facebook post, more most importantly, listening. But tell a friend to tell a friend to tell a friend because it's always nice to see the fan base growing. And I'll have people come up to me. I don't even know them and say, "Hey, like I listen to your podcast," and I mean. They tell me it's good. They could be lying their ass off to me, but I appreciate the feedback in any way. If you wanted to come up and tell me that it fucking sucks, go right ahead and just don't tell me it just sucks. Be like, hey, this needs to be better. This needs to be better because I criticism. How do you get better if you don't take it and learn from it? So all of that. Welcome to Carson Sack Podcast, where we talk balls. Episode thirty one. On this episode, we have the Kaiser Soze Balls, a.k.a. the usual suspect balls we got. College football, and we're wrapping up the entire year, leaving some notes on what was a fantastic college football year. Going to obviously talk about the college football playoff and talk about the national championship game. That, without a doubt, I think could go down as one of the best college football games ever played. It was a little boring started off but got so much better as the game progressed then we're going to talk about wild card weekend in the nfl playoffs and going to look ahead to the divisional round and we are going to continue the sack sack the sacks shaft excuse me i forgot my own segment of college basketball tell you what teams and players are on the rise on the decline so stick around for that at the end of the episode so as always, I think this is going to be a good episode, but I, I got a feeling about this one. I think a lot of people are going to like this one specifically. So the big story coming out of the college football championship game. Bear with me on this pronunciation. Tua Tung Aviola. Let's try that one more time. Tua Tung Aviola. I get sure. No one really knows how to say it that well. One more time. Tua Tung Aviola. He comes in. Replaces Jalen Hurts, who 
No, wasn't having that great of a game, but 3 of 8, so almost 50%. 21 yards, that's where you dip into it. Zero interceptions, though. So a quarterback rating of 31, that's just not going to do that great. But Jalen Hurts, as always, deadly, well, deadly dangerous on the ground. Six carries, 47 yards, 7.8 average. That'll do. Had a long 31. So... It was helping the offense a little bit, but was not putting them in the position to win and certainly not making enough plays to win the game for them. So here comes Tua. I'm just going to call him Tua. I'm sorry. Tua comes into the game. 14 to 24, 166 yards, three touchdowns to one interceptions, and the game-winning touchdown pass in overtime. Other players that got it done for Bama on the ground, Najee Harris, six carries, 64 yards, no touchdowns. None of the Bama backs got into the end zone. Um, Tua had 12 rushes himself, only 27 yards. But the big news here that the two-headed monster that Alabama has at running back, Bo Scarborough and Damian Harris, only 10 carries for them and only 40 yards between them. And that that's a credit to a tough Georgia defense that was more physical than Alabama for much of this game, but just couldn't keep it together the entire game. On the other side of the ball for Georgia, though, it was a bit of the same thing. Alabama showed up very well in the first half, and this game was pretty boring for the first half, but Jake Fromm, the freshman quarterback, 232 yards, a touchdown, but did throw two interceptions, so that's kind of where things got a little hairy. Alabama's defense stepped up and got turnovers when they needed it. Ridley for Georgia, six receptions, 82 yards. That'll do. That'll play. Very good. And then the backs for Georgia, again, a two-headed monster. Sonny Michelle, 14 carries, 98 yards. And then Nick Chubb, Sad way to go out last game ever as a Georgia Bulldog. 18 carries, but only 25 yards. That's coming out to a 1.4 average, which you hate to see it, but it happened, and you can't do anything about it now. So to sum this game up, pretty much both teams came out and they played SEC football, uh, smash mouth football, defensive football, try and impose your will, and both of these teams were imposing their will, but Georgia really was in the first half they were out they were out Alabama Alabama which does not happen really they were their defensive front and their offensive front were dominating the line of scrimmage they were making plays in the pass game when they needed it Sonny Michelle was running all over Alabama's defense getting to the second level but then Alabama gets the head out of their ass Nick Saban probably freaking popped a blood vessel in his heart or couple or two or something. Man probably went insane in the locker room at halftime and got the boys playing what they need to do. And, of course, the big move of quarterbacks switching, putting into a everybody's heralding Saban as this such a genius for doing this. I Putting Tua in, what a, what a gutsy call. Is it really? I mean, Jalen Hurts wasn't producing at all. Like, at all. Yeah, he got you to the dance. He got you there. He put your team in good situations where you wouldn't lose games and you had opportunities to win them all all year. But to me, it seems kind of simple. Because, I mean, you put two in. Say you put him in for two possessions. That's half a quarter of... Mm, half a quarter, maybe a third of a quarter. So you're looking at 
either seven and a half minutes or around four minutes that you use and have left if Tua's playing bad, you can bring back Hurts. And the way they were playing... I get Tua did put up good numbers, two touchdown passes in the second half and then the third in the overtime, which ultimately did give them the chance to win. But I think I agree. It was a good decision. I'm I'm not happy Saban did it because I didn't want him to win the game, but I get it was a good decision, but I don't think it needs to be as heralded and so hyped up and looked at as the best decision. And he's this wise, just wizard of coaching that, People are, and then people last year talked about that onside kick as well. He needed to do the onside kick against Clemson in the national championship because their defense wasn't stopping shit. Deshaun Watson was just tearing them apart. So what's he do? He kicks a f- onside kick so his defense can't keep getting explo- uh, exploited. It these seem like simple decisions, honestly. Your can't your defense can't get a stop. Deshaun Watson's killing you. Don't give him the ball. Your quarterback, Dale Hurts, is doing terrible. Put in the guy behind him. Give him a chance. In the grand scheme of things, very simple decisions. But, yes, on the biggest stage in college football, the national championship game, it is a little bit more gutsy to do, but it's not just this crazy thing that only Saban could do and only pull off and should be looked at as the greatest decisions and the reason he's cemented everything as a great coach. What should be cementing that legacy as one of the best coaches if not the best is six national championships five at alabama one at lsu only tied with bear bryant which is insane i six i i don't like nick saban don't like him at all hats off to you though very impressive six national championships ridiculous some coaches don't even get one so for you to get six and especially at two different schools, which shows, hey, you can get things done at the at the collegiate, not the pros. It showed you couldn't. The Dolphins can attest to that. But congrats. Hats off to you for six national championships, Nick Saban. Go fuck yourself, though. On the other side of the field with Georgia, Kirby Smart had the Bulldogs so ready to come out and play that, like I said, they dominated the first half. And... Kirby was calm, cool, and collected the entire game. Even after they lost, no emotion, no throwing a headset, no really disappointed look, which some people had a problem with. Like, oh, it, he doesn't show that he's caring. He must not care. He's not getting super upset. No, it's just him being level-headed and him being like, okay, they won. Better team. We messed up. We didn't capitalize on all of our opportunities. To me, that's what I like in a coach most of the time because – Game's over. What can you do about it? You go, you stay level-headed, you do what you need to do, shake the guy's hand, go to the press conference, answer the questions. It's going to suck. You lost the national championship game, and you only lost by three points, and you were in control of the game for most of the game itself, but nothing you really can do about it. Moving on, though, they bring back a good amount of talent. Jake Fromm will be back, but they do have the number one dual threat quarterback in the nation coming in, so there's that little competition that could develop. They do lose both Sonny Michelle and Nick Chubb, so that's going to be hard to replace, but they've been running back you here lately, dating back all the way to no Sean Marino, and then um, their defense... Returns 10 starters. I don't, they're not going to return that many, but their defense, Kirby Smart, as I've said the entire year, 
defensive-minded coach, always going to have a tough SEC defense. And if you have that, more than likely you're going to compete on a national level as well. But, Poses, did anybody in this game get let off the hook more than Andy Papastonis, the Alabama kicker, misses a 36-yard field goal at the end of regulation that would have won it. Thank God that Tua showed up and throws the touchdown pass in the overtime because if not, transfer. Get out. Go into the witness protection program because you are just fucked, honestly, because of how passionate the Alabama fans are. And you wouldn't get play. You would get no pussy. You would get no anything. No, no. You would be treated terrible in Tuscaloosa. So it's just not. You're so lucky, kid. And I'm so glad that you are let off the hook because your life would have been a lot tougher and a lot more terrible if you all didn't end up winning that game. So now, just to recap some of the highlights of. The entire football year. Um, in the first game, the one versus three, Alabama beats Florida State, but Francois, quarterback for Florida State, he goes down, and then Evergy continued its bull streak, and they did have to deal with the effects of the hurricane, but it's disappointing year for Florida State and this game and losing Francois really impact that. That same week though, UCLA came back from a 44 to 10 deficit with 408 remaining in the third quarter. Over the course of the last couple minutes of the game, Rosen, Josh Rosen, who is going to be atop of many many draft boards, engineered five touchdown drives and totaled 396 yards to win the game 45 to 15 and this was the second biggest comeback in college football history. Then you move on a moment I'm not too proud of but a moment that definitely sticks out from this year is Baker Mayfield after pretty much dissecting Ohio State's defense which is like I said pretty hard for me to say plants the OU flag in the middle of the horseshoe 50 yard line it's a turf field it's not going to penetrate it deep enough for it to stand Baker I don't understand why you don't get that but good for you then what really put Georgia on the map nationally I think this year is they just squeaked by Notre Dame at Notre Dame 20 to 19 and then Jake Fromm goes in there and just handles himself so well for a true freshman and then Notre Dame in that run game was really tested against Georgia's defense and that's that like I said I really think that brought a lot of attention to Georgia that was like hey we're not we're not going to be let down this isn't a Mark Rick team we got a chance to make some noise this year on a national stage and then another big moment that at the time, it was really huge, but looking back on it, it might fly a little under the radar, but between two disappointing SEC East teams, Florida and Tennessee, with, with time ticking down, no time left on the clock, Florida's quarterback, Felipe Franks, launches a bomb, 63 yards in the air, Tyree Cleveland, end zone, catches it, 26-20 victory. It was early on in the year, so this was a huge SEC matchup, thought to be teams that were going to be near the top of the SEC competing to maybe find a chance in the SEC championship game. Obviously, that didn't work out, but at the time, this gave 
Florida a 3-0 start in the SEC, and then obviously downhill from there. They dropped six of their last seven games, fired Jim McElwain, and then the Vols, Tennessee, they just sucked all year. So in the moment, big moment, looking back on it, going to fly under the radar, but still needed to be mentioned. And then another just little note, Troy beat LSU again this year, and no one, I really, no one expected that. It wasn't honestly close. It was 24-7 in the fourth quarter, and then LSU managed to get a couple late touchdowns. But Troy, the Trojans are Troy, win the game 24-21, and then it was just ridiculous. It was homecoming for LSU. So you obviously you try and schedule just cupcake games for that so you can go in. Get a nice little win. Get the students excited. Give them some reason to party. Just get the juices going. Let them pregame at the game a little bit. Then go to homecoming. Whatever. Didn't happen. And then they Troy's social media account just freaking blows up. Goes off on LSU and just they got paid to go there and play. And they walk out victors against LSU and Coach O. Then now a bit of a bright spot that I get to talk about. Ohio State beat Penn State this year in what could be one of the top five, I'm going to say top five, probably top three if we're being honest, games of the year. It was a top ten at the time. Two Big Ten teams that were on pace to make the college football playoff. And honestly, Penn State the week before kills Michigan. And then the Nittany Lions are destroying Ohio State. They were up 35-20 through the third quarter, and then JT Barrett, in his defining moment, I think, as a Buckeye, goes off in the fourth quarter, brings them down, brings them back from 11 points down the fourth quarter, was perfect the entire fourth quarter. Ohio State's defense shut down Saquon Barkley. He had one kickoff return, okay, sure, and then he had 44 yards on... However many carries he did, I've said this a billion times, but he had 36 on one carry. So, eight yards for the next however many carries he got. Not that impressive, but huge game for Buckeyes at the time. And, like I said, probably a top three game of the entire year in college football. Another big story coming out of the SEC was Auburn this year storming out of nowhere. There's always, always talk of Gus Malzahn leaving Auburn, getting fired because of not getting production, but I definitely think this year solidifies that, hey, you got a good coach. He's sometimes inconsistent, but it's nothing where you should look at getting rid of him every year like they do, which I just don't understand. He was offensive coordinator when Cam Newton was there. He goes away and then comes back, and he's just a He's, I love him as a head coach. I think he's a player's coach, and I think the way he approaches offense is very interesting and finds different ways, different schemes to get his players in the best position to make big plays. Well, that's what they did. They they beat Georgia, and then they beat Alabama to find themselves in the college football playoff rankings, in the playoff itself. Then they go and lose to Georgia pretty handedly in the SEC championship game that knocks them out. But for those three-week span where they beat Georgia, beat Cupcake Team, whatever, and then they beat Alabama, they were on top of the college football world. I would feel bad if I didn't mention this, but the Army-Navy game, snowy, always a classic game. feels like it's always coming down to the last possession. And that there was a 14-13 lead by 
the Black Knights because of Army's quarterback, Ahmad Bradshaw. No, not that Ahmad Bradshaw, not the two-headed monster with Brandon Jacobs in New York at the Giants. No, not that one. But the midshipmen of Navy, they drove down into field goal range. Down 14-13. Two false starts, though. Add 10 yards to the attempt of the field goal. And oh, Navy's kicker. How bad can you feel for a guy? 48-yarder, and he misses wide left. In that situation, you hate for that to happen. But every year, this game just produces good games and great moments. And honestly, I look forward to this game as much as I do any other game of the entire year. And then after that, Army gets their... They beat San Diego State in their bowl game, and they win They win 10 games on the year. That hasn't been done for them in a long time, and 10 wins for a, a academy school that's not done a lot. Back in the day, in the early 20s, 30s, 40s, it was done all the time. They were the powerhouses. Now, not really, but hats off to Army on that big win, and then that propelling them to the win in the San Diego State Bowl game as well. Another huge story is UCF, the Knights from Central Florida. They run the table. They go from 0-13 to 14 Yeah. Nope, not 14. 13. 13 and 0. They beat Auburn in the Peach Bowl 34 27. And people say, oh, Auburn didn't care about this. Whatever, whatever. They did. They cared about it. And as much as you want to say they didn't, they do. UCF should be number two in the rankings, if we're going to be honest, once all this comes out. They prove that they can beat a good SEC team. Can we just play another game in a week and a half, Alabama versus UCF? I'll pay to fund it. I'll get some cameras there. I'll rent out a field. I'll do it all because I would love to see that game. But, again, congratulations. You know they always say congratulations. Congratulations to UCF on the perfect season. And then, obviously, the last things to close with, the – playoff itself the rose bowl game between oklahoma and georgia an instant classic like i said along with the penn state ohio state game probably the number one game of the college football year number one if not number two because i mean the national championship game was maybe not a classic pretty boring in the first half but near the end got it going and the bigger stage really in the national championship game coming down to overtime 26 23 victory that will probably win game of the year but whatever, two great games, two great moments for three great, great programs in college football. What I'm a big fan of, honestly, just because I'm talking about games and whatever, ESPN, can't believe I'm saying this, actually do something right. They do rank the top 25 best games of the year before, and they just put those out and stream them over all of the ESPN channels throughout the summer and early in the college football year when it's around the time to get things going again and that just gets my juices going so thank you for another unforgettable year college football i can't wait to see you soon there's still some recruiting that needs to be done still some signings are going to happen but there's a lot of questions for a lot of teams that are going to need to be answered what happens with the Alabama quarterback situation? How does Baker Mayfield moving on from Oklahoma, can can they replace him? Georgia losing a lot of talent. Can they fix that? Ohio State losing a quarterback that was solid for them his entire career. How do they replace that? Losing a lot of D linemen. 
Kentucky. We got touchdown Terry Wilson. He's coming in. We get rid of Drew Barker. Some dead weight. We got a ton of players. We got Josh Allen and Mike Edwards coming back. We got Benny Snell being there for a junior year. UofL, how do they respond without Lamar Jackson? Is Jawan Pass the answer for them? Is Notre Dame officially back? Is that running game going to be there? Is the U is the U back as well? I can't wait to find out next year. And any other questions you have for your team, I hope they get answered as well. But I can't wait to find out next year. Now that college football is taken care of, we get to talk about the people that are paid, or at least known to be paid. We get to talk about wild card action. We get to talk about NFL, baby. That intro is longer than expected. So just to dive right in, on Saturday, January 6th, the huge upset in the AFC card, wild card playoff. The Titans go into Arrowhead and beat the Chiefs. Marcus Mariota, 205 yards, two touchdowns. Derrick Henry played the best game of his career, I really feel like. 23 carries, so they really rode him, really gave him the rock a lot. 156 yards and a touchdown. Delaney Walker, I feel like he's been doing this for forever since Walker, Texas Ranger, was on television. feel like he's going to be a key for them if they have any chance at all. All to beat the Patriots in this game though against the Chiefs six receptions 74 yards Alex Smith a lot of people want him gone in Kansas City I don't really get why one of the he is the best game manager in all of con in all of the NFL 264 yards and two touchdowns okay that's pretty good Kareem Hunt the rookie sensation only 11 carries so you probably would have liked to seen him get some more 42 yards and a touchdown and then Tyreek Hill probably the best little man receiver in the NFL seven receptions and 87 yards he's the fastest man in the NFL I can guarantee you that but the big thing here is Mariota led Tennessee to three second half touchdowns, which was incredible. One of his plays, he threw threw a ball, was rolling left out of the pocket, threw the ball, deflected, caught it himself, and runs it in. I mean, that's a touchdown pass or a rushing touchdown. I don't know. I don't know how it's classified. I don't know. I just know it was a great play, and it was made. Then you look at... Derrick Henry again, he had a great game. And then the Titans defense, their front seven is very good. You got uh, Damian Woodard and then Woodard, Damian Woodyard. And then their defensive tackle, Casey, is one of the best defensive tackles. Probably best defensive lineman, but especially interior defensive lineman in the game that just doesn't get a lot of love. And then Brian Arakpo, the Texas the Texas product, who is very, very good. He had a good game as well. The Chiefs, where do they go from here next season? Do they bring in Patrick Mahomes, who they drafted last year out of Texas Tech? He's explosive. He can fling it about 80 yards with just a flick of the wrist. Look at the flick of the wrist. But I don't think you do. I think you keep Alex Smith and ride him as long as you can, and you get that defense healthy again, and then you come back next year. And you beat the Titans, hopefully, in the playoffs. But Andy Reid, Alex Smith, I don't think Andy Reid's future is up in the air, but Alex Smith could be on the trade market. I think if you are going to trade him, trade him for a draft pick, trade him on draft day, get 
get them out early so the the controversy isn't drug out through the entire post the entire off season especially when it comes to mini camp and training camp and summer workouts as well and then this is where shit got boring the falcons beat the rams falcons just outplayed them <clears throat> matt ryan 218 yards and a touchdown, so nothing great. Julio Jones, 9 receptions, 94 yards and a touchdown. Devontae Freeman, 66 yards and a touchdown. But it was more on the other end where the Rams were putting up good numbers, good yardage, everything, but they couldn't find the end zone, and that is a tested to to Atlanta's slept-on defense. Their front seven with Morse Claiborne and then... Uh, Dwayne Jarrett is very, very good. They get after the quarterback very well. And then you have Desmond Trufant back in the secondary who makes it hard for re- opposing receivers to get open. So, again, boring game. Falcons double them up and move on to the divisional round, 26-13. And then in the battle of the two playoff newbies, the Bills and the Jaguars, Peterman, Almost had a chance to come in at the end of the game and lead a fourth quarter final minute drive for the Bills. And what does he do? He throws an interception. Jalen Ramsey picks him off. And how fitting of an end to hopefully his NFL career because, God, he is god-awful. Tyrod Taylor took a huge hit. Huge hit, which knocked him out of the game. And... It's it was it was scarier than what it actually turned out to be, but it's still Blake Bortles only eighty seven yards through the air, one touchdown, ran for more yards, ran for eighty eight, one more to be the second quarterback to do that and get a victory. I Byron Leftwich. Yeah, Byron Leftwich I think was the only quarterback to do so when they ended up beating the Steelers in the playoffs. D.D. Westbrook, five receptions and 48 yards for the Jaguars. That sets up a rematch for the Week 5 matchup for the Jaguars and the Steelers, where the Jaguars picked Ben Roethlisberger off five times. Then, to close up Wild Card Weekend, we had the Panthers going to the Saints, and the Saints beat the Panthers three times this year, this being the third time. Drew Brees, 376 yards and two touchdowns. Drew Brees is going to Drew Brees. Alvin Kamara, 10 carries, 23 yards, so not a lot. One touchdown, though, on the ground. And then Mike Thomas, the only... The only receiver ever to have 200 receptions through his first two years. He had eight receptions on 131 yards. I'm going to be honest with you. I was He played in Ohio State. I did not think he was going to be this good in the NFL at all. On the other side, though, Cam Newton apparently has to play out of his mind every time the Panthers need to win a game because he throws for 349 yards and two touchdowns, no interceptions. What more do you need from I mean, what more do you need? You need another touchdown out of him, but still does that. And then Jonathan Stewart, only 51 yards. Greg Olson, though, he came to play as well. Eight catches, 107 yards, and a touchdown. Cam Newton on the ground, he had 37 yards. McCaffrey only had 16 yards on the ground. McCaffrey did have 101 yards receiving, though. I, Devin Funches came to play, too. Four catches, 79 yards. What... The Saints are just that much better, I guess, than the Panthers this year, which is hard to say because I thought that the Panthers were going to step up, win this game, because it's hard to beat a team twice in the same year, let alone three times. But I guess Sean Payton and Drew Brees said, fuck that, we're the team that can do that, and they end up doing it.
Now we look ahead to the divisional round, and this is just going to be pretty easy to break down. Falcons go to the Eagles. It helps that it's in Philadelphia. It'll make it a better game, a lot closer game than what it honestly should be. Falcons, I think they're going to go in and win. I think the Eagles, if they're going to have any chance at all, need to run a Jai and Blunt maybe 15, 20 times each. Give Foles a couple play actions, get him out of the pocket so he can make, he's a better thrower on the run than he is, just stay in the pocket, his pocket presence is a little iffy at times, get him out on the edge, he's athletic enough, he can make a couple scrambles with his legs, but they need to ride the run game, they need to control time of possession as well because the Falcons offense is explosive enough where they can put up big numbers, big plays in a very short amount of time. Control it, keep the ball out of their hands. Their defense is going to need to play outstanding, which they have at times this year, and then at other times they just haven't shown up. I think the Eagles, their defense shows up, and the run game is there, they win, but I just don't think all of that is going to be enough to be there, and I just don't think that Nick Foles is going to make enough plays, honestly, for them to win the game. So I'm going to take the Falcons, and if, if Julio Jones has... Two touchdowns, which I think he easily could. The game, I guarantee a Falcons victory if he has two touchdowns. Then the next game out of the AFC, you got the Titans going to the Patriots. Maybe the Titans pull another one out of their ass. Maybe the glass slipper is still fitting for them. Do I think so? No. I I don't. I think Belichick and them are going to perform a colonoscopy on uh, Mariota and the rest of the Titans and be like, hey, you don't have a win up here. And then I think they're just going to shatter that glass slipper and this Cinderella run. They I mean, I won, they won one game, whatever. And the Cinderella run, and I don't think the Patriots by any means like dominate. I mean, it's a playoff game. There's going to be competitive. There's going to be fieriness from the Titans. They're going to obviously try and win. I think they keep it close for a little bit, but then I think in the middle of the third, start of the fourth, Patriots start pulling away. I think it'll be closer than people think. I mean, the line's New England 13 and a half. Not, this is not a gambling podcast, but I don't think they cover. I think they might win by 13, maybe 12, but it's a playoff game. Nobody comes out there and just gets disrespected and gets blown out. Watch it. Watch them just no points. New England put up 42. Gronk, three touchdowns. Brady, however many. Deion Lewis, however many. Just... Whatever. Watch the Patriots come out and Patriot. Another big thing, though, is apparently there's a riff and a big, big riff between uh, Kraft, Brady, and Belichick, all because of this TB12 shit that Brady's got going on. The Garoppolo trade where Belichick really didn't want to do it. Kraft really wanted to pull the trigger. Belichick doesn't know how he feels about the whole TB12 thing. That's coming in. Brady was super happy when Garoppolo was gone. All of this other bullshit. I think it's just that bullshit. Watch this team. Watch the Patriots just go out and win the entire thing. And Belichick and Brady and Kraft just be like, yeah, that was never a problem. It was whatever. There was an issue. But, I mean, we're the Patriots. We handle things. We don't talk to the media. We practice. Belichick cuts off sleeves of hoodies. And we win Super Bowls. That's about it. So, obviously, if they're going to do that, they got to beat the Titans. And I think the Patriots do do that.
Then the next day, Sunday the 14th, you got the Jaguars going to the Steelers, where I previously mentioned the Jaguars already went to, in Week 5, to the Steelers, intercept Big Ben five times, end up winning that game 30-19. to If you intercept a guy, 30-9, to 30-9, my apologies. If you pick off a guy five times, there's not, he shouldn't have any points. They shouldn't even have nine. Boswell comes up clutch, add him to the killer bees. I just don't think it happens again. Hard to beat Mike Tomlin, hard to beat the Steelers, hard to beat any team, honestly, two times in one year, and I just don't think they do it. I think you saw how Blake Bortles reacted to a very okay defense in the Bills last week, and I think the Steelers' defense is much better than the Bills' defense, and I think they're going to be just pissed because they're going to be how reminded that they did lose that game in week five that they come out we ride Le'Veon Bell we get Antonio Brown worked back into the offense hasn't been at game speed obviously since he injured himself against the Patriots but it'll be good to get out him I don't think you put him on a snap count I don't think you do anything like that because if you do win more than likely you're going to face the Patriots next week and that you just need to keep getting them ready. Might be a little out of shape, but I mean, AB, it's not like him to do that. In practice, he literally could catch a ball from the ten opposite 10 yard line on a little slant, blow the whistle. He runs 100 yards, uh, runs the other 90 to score the touchdown. He does that every play. I know that. I've, I've heard about it. I, I assume it's true. Why would they lie about it? I'm going to take the Steelers in this one. Then. The last game of the divisional round, what I think could be the game of the entire playoffs and probably one of the better games of the entire NFL season, the Saints go to the Vikings. That high-powered Saints offense, that great Vikings defense, an okay, eh, a a good, good Vikings offense and a good Saints defense. This one's hard. I'm going to take the Vikings. I really want to take the Saints, though. I think if the Saints were able to get past this, they definitely make the Super Bowl because I just don't see the Falcons or the Eagles really battling them and putting up that much of a game against them. The only reason I say the Vikings have it is because where the game's at. It's in Minnesota. It's such a huge difference for the guys from New Orleans who play in the Dome all year. Don't have to deal with weather. It is a really big deal. It's going to be cold as balls in Minnesota for this game. That's literally, like I said, that's the only reason why I picked the Vikings. I don't think by any means they're head and shoulders like a crazy better team than the Saints. I just think that weather, it always apparently has in the past, plays a big different, big part. Example, the year that the Bears with Rex Grossman went to the Super Bowl and faced Peyton Manning and lost, the Saints went to Chicago. They played a good game. They were close, but then what happened? The weather got involved, started snowing a little bit, it got a little cold. Reggie Bush fumbled the ball, got a little sloppy with his carrying style and stuff, and they lost. I think the weather plays a big enough part where it can somehow will the Vikings, not will, Vikings are good enough to just flat out win this game, but I think the weather helps them enough where the Vikings pull out the win. Now that good old football is taken care of, we get to now move to college basketball and we get to talk about the Sack Shaft College Basketball Edition where teams are going up, they're going down. Players are too, so we get to get into that a little bit. Sack Shaft, here we go. Nothing can stop me, I'm all the way up.
So to play it off the down concept, we're going to go with Texas A&M. That team is on a rapid decline right now. They're 0-4 in SEC play, and they start the season ranked number 7. They go and they beat West Virginia early on in the year. They were, their stock was high. I was buying in. They have a really tall mixed guy as well that they put down in the post did very well against UK but they just couldn't pull it out their bigs had a great game against UK UK's got to step that up a little bit but right now when you lose sitting at 0-4 every game in the SEC you are sliding down the shaft now we flip things to the other side of the coin a team on the rise West Virginia they just had and won a very intense game against Baylor on yeah last now, two nights ago, my apologies, they went 57-54. Then, just three days earlier, that Saturday, last Saturday, they beat Oklahoma with Trey Young, the freshman sensation, who they limited to a very quiet first half, but then Trey Young, they, he went and got his. But overall, Bobby Huggins, Thuggins, his whole defensive mind, the press, everything, took over, forced him into turnovers late in the game, and West Virginia pulls out a big win in that in the Big 12. Then again, they beat Baylor, Big 12 win coming up, though. My goodness, talk about running a gauntlet. You got Texas Tech at Texas Tech. You got Kansas coming to town. Then you got Texas coming to town who should not be slept on. They're going to be riding an emotional high, emotional wave. I'll get to that a little later. Then you got to go to TCU. Then you got Kentucky coming to town. That's the next five games, and that's all within the next 14 days. Talk about a hell of a two-week stretch. Then another team on the rise, SEC school, Auburn. With Bruce Pearl, he's got them in the top 25. They're sitting at, oh, I'll get to that in a second. But the reason why, they beat Tennessee at Tennessee 94-84, so they won that pretty handily. And then they beat Arkansas, granted the game was at Auburn, but they beat them by 11. And then they welcome Ole Miss, who isn't the best team, but isn't anything to be slept on either. They beat them by 15 they have some tough games coming up. They got to go to Alabama. They got Georgia coming to town. They're 11 and 4. Then they got to go to Missouri and then they welcome LSU to town. It's when when Kentucky comes to town in February on Valentine's Day, that I think is going to be a huge marquee matchup for them, but that's a while while down the line can't get ahead of ourselves there. Auburn, though, they're 22nd in the country. Glad to see another SEC school in the SEC school in the top 25 rankings. Another team soaring up the rankings and soaring up the shaft is Virginia. They go to Virginia Tech, who is a good team. They play teams hard because of Buzz Williams. They beat them 78 to 52. Then they beat North. I don't want to say just beat. They tap that ass. Virginia beats UNC at Virginia 61-49, and then they beat Syracuse at Virginia. Syracuse with that zone is always a tough matchup, but Virginia wins that one 68-61. They're sitting at third in the country. They got a couple votes for number one in the country. I definitely see why Tony Bennett there always gets those guys playing his style of basketball. You love to see it. 
Now we move to the players a little bit. Kata Bates Diop for Ohio State. He drops over 30 against the number one ranked team in the country, Michigan State. Then the game before at Iowa, he drops 25. Didn't play at all last year for the Buckeyes with an injury, but is rapidly inserting himself in the Big Ten Player of the Year conversation. And kind of in the National Player of the Year contention as well. He's got great numbers the entire year. He's averaging over 20 points, averaging uh, averaging 10 rebounds himself. It's hard to find a player that can do both of those like that. He's a stretch four, honestly. Shoots the three well, shoots the mid-range jumper well. Keep an eye on him, but right now he is moving up the shaft with the Buckeyes as well after dethroning the number one ranked Michigan State Spartans by a very good amount. Then the last player that I'm going to talk about moving up the shaft is Keenan Evans for Texas Tech. He's got 15, he's averaged 15 points on the year, two rebounds, three assists. But his last three games in a big game against Kansas that they end up winning, 15 points, three assists, and a steal. Then against Kansas State, 27 points, four assists, and two steals. And then against Oklahoma in a big game, he had 19 points. An assist, no steals, but he's on the right path, and he's going to need to keep playing well for Texas Tech. To they got a 14-2 record right now. He's going to keep playing well, hopefully, and he can keep the Red Raiders moving up. Hopefully, they'll find themselves moving up the shaft themselves. Then, like I mentioned with the whole Texas situation, riding an emotional roller coaster. Um, thoughts and prayers with Andrew Jones, the player for Texas. He was diagnosed with leukemia. Um, you hate to hear that about anybody. So, like I said, me here at the sack, <clears throat> thoughts and prayers to him. A terrible situation. And then the day all that news comes out, Texas, they go out and they beat TCU in a double overtime win. I'm glad they could do that. Um, it's going to be difficult, I think, some for the players at times. Obviously, hopefully, they keep playing well and they can keep Honoring him with great play. I know they're going to do that. Hopefully that reciprocates to some wins. Hopefully he can maybe make it to a tournament game if they make it there or anything like that. Because that, I think, would help him a lot and help the players already on the team. Bob Huggins reached out. And, I mean, I know a lot of other coaches did. Huggins was the one that I read a couple of times and I really felt was very heartfelt and touching. They were they were all heartfelt, but I found that one to be very not like good worded, nicely worded, and very touching and heartfelt. And then Chuck Smart and so many other players after the game just broke down and it's it's emotional and you hate for this to have to happen for a fan base and a team to come together. There's very few positive things you can take out of a situation like this. That's one of them. So like I said, prayer to Andrew Jones and the entire Texas fan base team and everything going through that entire situation. So moving on from that, that's it. Episode 31 of Carson Sack is done. Thank you for listening. It's a little longer. I get that. But I want to appreciate you for listening. I still I say it all the time. This is the best college student podcast in the game right now. The, not a shot at anybody else. I'm helping people put out other podcasts. I'm helping one of my friend Andrew Del, Andrew Del Visco with his Garage Talk podcast. Go listen to that. I'm helping. I'm. I helped one of my friend Donovan getting his thing going. Just letting him know what software I use. Get a hold of me. 
please do. I'll help you. But I'm promising you, you're not going to be better than my show. I, it's not a shot at anybody at all. This is kind of like the Kendrick control verse. I'm not taking shots at you. I'm just letting you know. I'm the best college podcast in America in college. So thank you for listening. Like, review, subscribe, everything on iTunes, the same old shit. And I'll see you next week. And as always, as we close on Carson Tech Podcast, where we talk balls, we will be seeing you.